Sometimes preaching sermons is not easy. Uh, if it weren't for the Lord, I would definitely not be able to do it. Today is more challenging than others. Uh, there's a lot to cover. I mean, it's, it's the 4th of July, so we need to touch on some patriotic themes, but then there's also was Vacation Bible School this week, so um, thankfully we've already covered the songs and we've got DJ Cupcake here to help with that. Um, and then my dad died this week, so there's that and maybe that works its way in. So how do I put all of these things together? Besides all of that, our youth pastor challenged me to tell an inappropriate joke during the sermon. So um, I got to figure out that as well. So in honor of my dad, who was the king of telling inappropriate jokes, um, we'll put this in there. If you drink laxative with holy water, then you'll start a religious movement. So there you go. We covered it all. Now we can move on to the patriotic stuff. That one's for you, dad. Um, in Vacation Bible School, we, earned, we learned about how we are dependent upon God for everything, even our daily bread. And that kind of feeds right into what I think God's word for us today would be. I want to read from the psalm, of chapter 33, and verses 12 through 22. What joy for the nation whose God is the Lord, whose people he has chosen as his inheritance. The Lord looks down from heaven and sees the whole human race. From his throne, he observes all who live on the earth. He made their hearts. He understands everything they do. The best equipped army cannot save a king, nor is great strength enough to save a warrior. Don't count on your war horse, on your war horse to give you victory. For all its strength, it cannot save you. But the Lord watches over those who fear him, those who rely on his unfailing love. He rescues them from death and keeps them alive in times of famine. We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for your hope, for our hope is in you alone. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, I read a great quote this week. It said, empires rise and fall like the abdomen of God. I thought, wow, that's great. And it's true. There have been many great nations and kingdoms over the millennia. I just finished reading a book about the Persian Empire and realizing how great and how vast that was for its time. And then I'm reading a book now about Alexander the Great, the, the Macedonian Greek king who conquered Persia and started his own empire. But whether it was Egypt or Assyria or Greece or Rome, there have been many empires that have come and have gone. At the height of the British Empire, it was the largest empire in world history. For over a century, was the foremost global power. By 1913, the British Empire held sway over 23% of the world's population. Can you imagine? And by 1920, it covered 24% of the Earth's total land area. 
That was in 1920. That was just 102 years ago. But today, what, what, you know, is it the greatest empire in the world? No. I mean, it's, I'm sure it's a great country. No offense, but things have changed. In 100 years, everything can change. And today, I think most people would say that America is the most powerful, influential nation on earth. The United States has the largest GDP in the world with 24% of the world's GDP. In other words, if you combine the GDP of all of the nations in the whole world, 24% of that would belong to just one nation, the one we live in. We have the largest, best trained and equipped nation, uh, uh, military in the world. And yet, God's word reminds us today, verse 16 and 17, the best equipped army cannot save a king, nor is great strength enough to save a warrior. Don't count on your war horse to give you victory. For all its strength, it cannot save you. Of course, you have to put this in modern terms because we don't have kings today. We don't use war horses, right? We have a president. We have a Congress. We have a Supreme Court. We have representatives and senators. We are a democracy and our military doesn't use horses. We use tanks and jets and satellites in outer space and missiles that can go from one end of the globe to the other. But the principles are the same. It's not your mighty military it's not your government that makes you great. It's not all your wealth or your privileges either. These things can evaporate in an instant. Our hope is in the Lord. Psalm 33, 18 says, The Lord watches over those who fear him, those who rely on his unfailing love. And this is the theme we find throughout scripture, all the way back in the Old Testament. We talk about Israel. Israel is the, you know, the, the great nation of our faith. This country that somehow came out of nowhere and became a power that was to be reckoned, that represented God's kingdom on earth for a time. And we, we ask, how did that happen? Well, the scripture is clear again and again and again. It wasn't because the people were great. It wasn't because they had this great military. Israel was just a, a wandering band of tribes that barely had anything at all. They were nomads. They were slaves and then they were nomads. Um, and how did they conquer Canaan? It wasn't because of their great military. Look, just read the book of Joshua. Um, read the book of Joshua. And you will see clearly if you look at it, it's like, the battle plans were ridiculous. God says, you're going to conquer Jericho. Jericho is this mighty fortress city. How are you going to conquer it? Are you going to set up siege ramps? Are you going to have this great military strategy? God's military plan is ridiculous. He says, all right, just get out there and march around in circles for a week and shout. And, and, and what, what general would ever say, now there's a good plan. And sometimes we read that today and historians will try to figure out a way to say, oh yeah, well that was really a good military plan. No, it wasn't. That's not what the Bible's trying to tell you. The Bible's trying to tell you that it wasn't Israel that won the battle. It was God. God could do it any way he wanted to. And he chose to do it in the most ridiculous way in the world so that people would always have to say, 
I guess God can do whatever he wants. <laughs> he can put whoever in charge he wants. And it doesn't matter if they've got a mighty military force or not. It's God's choice. And so we come today and it says, The Lord watches over those who fear him. Those who rely on his unfailing love. And that was God's message to Israel. If you want to continue to be my chosen people, trust me. Do what I ask you to do. And we ask the same question today. In whom or what do you put your hope? Now I'm very proud of our military. I, I have family members. My, my nephew is in the army. My dad served in the uh, army. My, my grandfather was in the military. I'm very proud of those who serve and make those sacrifices. And I appreciate them. But I know that that's not really where our hope comes from. And I'm glad that we live in a wealthy nation that's full of resources and opportunities. Um, things that people, I have friends in other countries that do not have those opportunities. And I recognize the privilege that we have in this nation. But that also is not where our hope comes from. And thank goodness our hope does not come from our government or our presidents, um, the one that we had or the one we have now or the one we will have. If you are a Christian, I pray that you realize that our hope does not come from Donald Trump or Joe Biden or anyone else. Thank God. Psalm 33:20 says, we put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Christians put our hope in the Lord. We don't idolize a favorite president. We don't demonize one that we don't like. Because that is just as bad as idolizing. When you put someone and say that they're the cause of all of our problems, it's just the opposite. It's just the opposite of putting them on a pedestal. Christians are called to pray for our leaders, whether we like them or not. Do you know those Christians in the first century? Their friends were being lit as torches to light the Colosseum. That's awful. You can't get any worse than that. And then Paul is writing to them saying, pray for your leaders. <laughs> I'll be like, I'll say a prayer for them. I just lit my mama on fire as a torch. I mean, Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for those that curse you. And this is this message to Christians today. Pray for your leaders, whether you like them or not. They need God to help them lead. And we should always look to God as our hope. And this affects how we live as individuals. And it's time for Christians to be responsible. Don't verbally assault people with whom you disagree. Pray for them. Treat them the way Jesus treat, would treat them. Christians are called to be the light of the world. And in dark times, it's even more importantly that we, that we shine bright and refuse to act like the darkness around us. And Jesus said, do not worry. Worrying doesn't make anything better. It only makes it worse. When you worry, you don't think clearly. 
You get overwhelmed by anger and anxiety and frustration. You say things that you shouldn't say. Things that you wouldn't say if you were more clear-headed. And when you worry, you don't treat people like Jesus would treat them. So instead of worrying, Scripture tells us to take your anxieties to the Lord in prayer. Lay it before the Lord. Don't try to carry it yourself. Carry it to the Lord. And remember that your hope is in the Lord. He is the one who can fix any problem. Or he's the one who chooses not to fix a problem. Either way, you trust him, right? Don't you? If you don't trust him, then that's the real problem. Maybe the problem is not what you're praying about. Maybe it's the problem that, that you want things to go a certain way and you're not okay if God doesn't let it go that way. That's a problem. Because it's, it's trying to carry and fix the world's problems yourself and not relying on the Lord to do it. God is much wiser than you. He knows the big picture you can't see. And we're called to trust him, put our hope in him. Jesus said his followers are the salt of the earth. Salt adds flavor. It makes things better. Are you making things better in our country or are you just adding to the bitterness and distress? Are you building people up or tearing people down? Are you bringing peace and hope or division and despair? We are called to be salt that makes the world better. Salt also helps to preserve food so that it doesn't spoil. I love reading history and I love uh, trying things, trying to learn how to do things that people used to do a long time ago. Um, you might know that about me, but... Um, you know, we, we haven't had refrigerators and freezers for that long. It's only relatively a short period of time. Before that, the, one of the main ways that people preserved food so that it didn't go bad was with salt. I'd pack that stuff with salt and it'd last a good long time. And uh, it might be salty, but I like salty food, so that's okay. But that salt would keep that food from spoiling. And I know Jesus had that in mind when he said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth that helps to keep things from spoiling and going bad. Yes, yes, there are some nasty, ugly things happening, things that threaten to spoil our nation. But Christians who live righteous, holy lives help to cure and preserve society. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not necessarily talking about fighting for better laws or changing this or that policy in order to make the world better. That may be part of it. That has its place. But that's not primarily what I'm saying. The most important thing is that Christians personally do the right thing and are pure and holy. You can't stop heathens from being heathens. <laughs> you can't stop even evil people from being evil. Only God can do that. And he does do that. And it's amazing when he does it. But you know, the apostle Paul, 
He was one of the worst characters in the New Testament. He was going around arresting and killing Christians. And there wasn't a single Christian who stopped him from doing it. It was God who flashed a light in the heavens and spoke to him and knocked him off his horse to the ground and changed his life. And suddenly, Paul changed from being an evil man who was killing Christians to the greatest evangelist of the New Testament. God does that, but Christians are called to be faithful. When Paul was blind, God sent him to a Christian. Said, go to this man and heal him. And that Christian, I can't remember his name. Maybe you do. Off the top of my head, I can't remember. What was it? Ananias? Ananias. Go to see Ananias. And God says to Ananias, guy's coming to you. He's blind. You're going to heal him. His name's Paul. And then Ananias says, Paul? I've heard about him. He's been going all over the place, arresting Christians and throwing them in jail, having them killed. You want me? God says, do it. And what does Ananias do? He was salt and he was light. He was obedient. He says, I guess God knows what he's talking about. So that's what I'm going to do. And when God says that to us, whatever it is, we say, you know what you're talking about and my hope is in you and I will trust you. You can't stop evil people from being evil, but you can be personally living for Christ. You can do that. Christians who personally live for Christ are the salt that keeps the world from going bad. Are you doing that? Are you being salt? You can't do much about what happens in Washington, D.C. But you can do a lot about your own actions. You are, going, are you going to waste your precious time and energy and resources arguing and fussing and fighting about sensational stuff that people in the news tell you you're supposed to be angry about and you can't do anything about it anyway? Or are you going to take responsibility for your own personal actions and make sure you are living the way Jesus wants you to live. I think that's God's word for us today. For we are a nation of the people. And it's always been the people that make changes happen. And it's not necessarily changes on this high and lofty policy. It's changes that happen with our personal lives and in our homes and in our churches, and in our community right here. You can control your own actions. And if you choose to follow Christ as your Lord, and to be faithful to Him and what He's calling you to do, it will change the world. That is how we went from the evil Roman Empire to the church being the largest religion in the world. So... I invite you to follow Christ. Let him be the Lord of your life. Live for him. You know, today we have the privilege of celebrating the sacrament of Holy Communion. And again, this is an example of God's absolutely ridiculous plan to take over the world. Uh, if you are going to say, well, how, Lord, this world is so messed up. How in the world are you going to save us? 
A lot of people would have said something like, well, you need to be, send someone like Alexander the Great who can just conquer the whole world. And yet, what did God do? Instead, he says, well, no, I've got a different plan. I'm going to be born as a baby. Oh, you mean you're going to be some divine child that floats down from heaven in his bright, shining light? No, I'm going to be born as a helpless infant to poor parents who can't even afford to have me born in a proper place. I'll be laid in a manger in the hay where the animals eat and do all the other stuff that animals do. And after I spend, give my 33 years of life to try to teach them how they're supposed to be and turn their hearts back to God... They're going to hang me on a cross. That's how you're going to save the world? That's how I'm going to do it. But you know what? God knows what he's doing. Because so many millions of people have had their lives forever changed by what happened on the cross. It's something that no general could have ever done. No king. No earthly king could have ever done it. And so as we celebrate this holy meal, we remember what Christ did for us and what he calls us to do. Lay down our lives. Lay down our lives. Take up our cross and follow him. On the night that Christ gave himself up for us, he shared a meal with his disciples He took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat. This is my body that is given for you. Likewise, after the meal, he took the cup and he raised it to heaven. And he asked the Lord to bless it and gave it to his disciples and said, take and drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Gracious Father, your wisdom is so much higher than ours. You see things we can't see. You you can do anything. And you certainly can save the world. And the way you chose to do it was in this special gift of your son Christ on the cross. Where he laid down his life for us, his body was broken, his blood was shed so that we could be forgiven. Help us as we take this meal today and we remember what he's done for us. Help us to follow in his footsteps and the way we treat one another. The way we live in our world. Help us to offer our body, our blood, that the world might know you and turn to you and truly be saved. And as we take of this bread and this wine, pour out your Holy Spirit on the bread and wine and on us, that the bread might be the body of Christ, that the wine might be his blood, that we might be the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. In the name of the Father, of the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.